Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's football commercial season. Become a USA Today Ad Meter panelist and watch and rate the big game commercials. You'll be entered to win a trip to the big game in 2022 just for registering. Sign up now and see official rules at admeter.usatoday.com. Now, here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is the Buckswire Podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now, your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Buckswire editor, Luke Easterling. Bruce, obviously, you know, we, we saw big plays from some of your most important players, the big names. We've already talked, you know, so much about what this means for, for Tom to go back to the Super Bowl. But can you point to maybe a, a couple of players or even moments or plays in that game Sunday that, that really turned the tide or were really key that, that maybe don't get enough credit right now? Yeah, I, I think Sean's interception was huge. Uh, it was really, really big. Um I think our offensive line and tight ends, I mean, they, they don't get enough recognition how good they're playing these, those last few weeks. And uh, the, the protection has been outstanding. We, we missed one blitz pickup um, that led to an interception, and that was probably the only really bad play. Um, but everybody's, you know, all the big names – it was a five-star game, and the five-star players should show up. Well, that voice should sound familiar to our listeners, Luke Easterling and head coach Bruce Arians, discussing a win for the Bucks in the NFC Championship game. This is, this is unbelievable. I mean, Luke, this is like a bad movie script in Hollywood now. This is what I've decided. You got Tom Brady, the greatest winner in NFL history, signing with the Bucks, a franchise best known for losing. Then you get the national pandemic throwing a wrench into things. Oh, how's it going to all play out? Well, now here we are going to the Super Bowl, which, of course, is going to be played at Raymond James Stadium, right? Like, it's almost all too believable in a way, right? I mean, this is just remarkable the way this is all played out. I mean, wake me up, man. (laughs) I mean, this is just ridiculous. I told, um, you know, I was having a conversation with my wife. I was like, "How, how do I balance the normalcy of Tom Brady making it to the Super Bowl because he always does. <laughs> right, we're not surprised, but with the abnormality like <laughs> yeah, of no. the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going to the Super Bowl <laughs> and that meaning the same thing because obviously, you know, Brady right. playing the AFC, it's conceivable that he would have played against the Bucs at some point, but like to be to ingest the the concept that but that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to the Super Bowl along with Tom Brady because we're so used to having him in that game, but the Bucs have done it one time in 45 years. I mean, it's just it, like you said, it's a storybook, but it's all, it's just it feels like such an alternate reality. And it's the same way I think most Bucks fans, if they're honest, probably felt back in March when he signed with the team. It's just it doesn't make sense. You know, it doesn't it <laughs> sure. doesn't make sense. We're fine with it. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll get to where we can accept it. But I still think for a lot of people, man, it's it's, it's hard to to grasp right now. 
Yeah, I mean, and you and you look on social media right now. People aren't happy. I mean, I think a lot of football fans are not happy that they have to watch another Tom Brady Super Bowl, whether it's with the Bucks or not. I think there's plenty of folks in New England like myself, and I'm wearing my Tampa Bay Buccaneers hat right now and my TB12 sweatshirt, as I usually do when I do the show with you, Luke. So I am uh, honking out. I'm all in on the Buccaneers train. Let's go. Uh, so I'm excited to watch Tom in the Super Bowl, of course. But I think most of America isn't. I know Tampa Bay fans are, you know, over the moon right now. But, like, back in the day when the Patriots were going to the Super Bowl all the time, were Tampa Bay fans, you think, indifferent? Or do you think they were kind of sick of Brady f- at, at one point? And now they're like, now they flipped that thing, and now they're enjoying it, right? Like, do you think there's any of that? I, I mean, yeah, that's, you know, it's it's like anything. You know, it, take, like, Alabama football, right? If you're right. if it's your team, you're fine with dominating everything for to, until the end of time. Uh, but when it's anybody but your team, you get sick of it, right? You're tired of it. I mean, I think that any, even just the fact that the Chiefs are back in this game again, I think if it were anyone other than Tom Brady, not even the Bucks, if it were anyone other than Tom Brady, you'd have a good number of people rooting for whoever was coming out of the NFC just because people don't like repeat champions unless it's your team. They want something new. They want something, you know, that's that changes things up a little bit. And I think the fact that whoever those people are, they they now have to pick between a repeat champion or another repeat champion of sorts in Tom Brady. So they're just, you know, they're they're screwed either way, I guess. Well, you got snowy New England out here, and I think you got the sun shining in Tampa Bay. And, and these two, you wouldn't connect those two parts of the country too often, but I think we're all aligned rooting for the Bucks in this game. Uh, but maybe the rest of America can freaking root for the Chiefs. I'm definitely not rooting for the Chiefs. As a Patriots guy, Luke, I don't want the Chiefs coming anywhere as close to the dynasty. So I'm all, like, obviously, let's go Brady. Let's go Bucks. Let's enjoy the hell out of this. It's going to be really fun over the next couple weeks. I can't wait to get into it all and break down the game. But, you know, we were kind of joking about this notion earlier on in the year. We've been talking throughout the podcast this season. This is our 22nd episode of the year. And we've been talking throughout about how Tampa Bay has kind of become the new title town. They've kind of taken that from Boston, right? There was a time where Boston was the title town at all these championships, Red Sox, uh, you know, the Bruins won one. The Patriots are winning it almost every year. Well, now Tampa Bay is the new title town, Luke. And we're not even joking anymore, right? You got the Bucks, Lightning, and Race. They all made the finals within the last five months. So sports fans of Tampa Bay, you spoiled, spoiled people. Oh, my gosh. You guys have been so freaking spoiled. You think the pandemic would ruin things for sports, but not in Tampa Bay. It's been freaking sweet. The Lightning winning the Cup. The Rays played in the World Series and losing to the Dodgers, but hey, they, they knocked out the Astros. How fun was that Game 7, all that? And now the Bucks playing the defending Super Bowl champ, the Chiefs, as you said, at Raymond James Stadium. Uh, you know, the biggest night in sports literally being hosted by the Buccaneers, a, a franchise that was known for losing, right? The, the Tampa Bay Suckaneers or whatever people used to call the Bucks. Not anymore. You know, early February, it's all about Tampa Bay. I think that's kind of great. Yeah, and I think that, you know, obviously I think you don't you don't get to be title town unless you win most, if not all of those. So I think the Bucks would definitely take a, a big step forward in actually winning this one because, like you said, the Rays did lose. Um, we actually have a soccer team here, the Tampa Bay Rowdies. They won their conference and, and would have played in the finals. Give the Rowdies some love. Yeah, I think, they're light, I think their, their league actually decided that not to have a final because of the pandemic or whatever, so they just named them like co-champions, basically. So a little love for the, uh, for the, uh, you know, the pro soccer <laughs> circuit down here in the Tampa area. But, you know, like you said, it's, it's so unlikely – that first of all, any team would ever play a Super Bowl in their home stadium. But the fact that it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who again are the losingest franchise in the history of the NFL, um, 
And it's just as preposterous that Brady was signed with that team, right? It's the same type of emotion. You're like, just that just doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute, right? But when you combine that with maybe not the Tampa Bay Lightning because the Lightning have become such a perennial dominant you know, force. They've been when they okay. haven't won the cup, they've been in it every single year, save for a couple since the last time they won it back in 04. Absolutely. So we've kind of gotten yep. used to their success. And honestly, I think the Rays success is probably the most unlikely, um, you know, for all of the the challenges of being a Rays fan and how they have to kind of operate and trade their stars before they, you know, really want to and, and try to keep that payroll low. I mean, the fact that this team, I think the Rays won 90 games six seasons in a row or five out of six or something like that. I mean, that's just ridiculous yep. to go, especially in that division, to play not to get too far off course here, but, <laughs> you know, to, to, to play in the AL East and to play against the Red Sox and the Yankees and, and even the Blue Jays and, and poor Orioles. Sorry, guys. Um, you know, to, to be in that division and to be as competitive as they have. And, and like you said, I mean, losing in six games to the Los Angeles Dollar, Dodgers who can spare no expense – you know, to spend on whatever they want and get whatever they want. Obviously, that team had better win the World Series against a team with one of the lowest, if not the lowest, payroll in baseball. Um, but, you know, th- their success is actually probably the most unlikely. So to see them knock off the Astros and go to the World Series uh, and now the Bucks to be in this situation, obviously it's just a phenomenal time to be a Bucks, uh, a Tampa Bay fan in, in any stretch of the sports imagination here. But I think the Bucks, if they really want to get the title town badge, you got to win more championships than you lose. And I think if the Bucks lose the Super Bowl, eh, now you yeah, only right. won one out of three. You right, kind of got yeah, you, you got to win them all. I mean, I think Jenna Lane from ESPN pointed it out. I think it was either 03 or something in, in that range where it was like the the New Jersey Devils and the Yankees and somebody else winning, you know, a, ch- a championship within or going to a title game within a shorter span. It's it's that's the only time it's been done in a shorter span than I think the four or five months that the the Bucks Lightning and Rays have pulled this off. So it's I mean it's just so much fun. Obviously, I think the only bad thing, the only downside, is it's happening in a in a moment in in our society. Obviously, where you can't really fully enjoy it in terms of the pandemic. But hey, we'll take what we can get right now. And sports have been really fun in this town for a while now. So why are we here? Well, the Bucks beat the Packers, and I, this is just such a great win. The closer we got to game time, I just thought, oh my god, it, this Packers seems so good. They're at home. Rodgers is the MVP. We can't expect them to go out there and just screw it up and, and turn the ball over like they did in that first game against Tampa. I just thought the Packers were going to play a great game and they were going to win a really tight, close game. It was going to be a great game, but I thought the Packers were going to win. I had There was really no doubt in my mind. And then it kind of plays out the way that first game did, right, with the turnovers and just I really think Tampa Bay outcoached them. And I, I think the number one thing that stuck out to me was pressure. We talked about the Brady-Mike Pettin thing, what the Packers would do on defense, what kind of game plan they would throw at the Bucks. Well, credit to Brady and the Bucks' offensive line because I can't remember Brady really getting pressured much, right? Like, there's a couple... I know one of the interceptions was directly linked to pressure because Brady just kind of chucked it up. But for the most part, he was clean, and he wasn't really pressured a lot, and he was comfortable. And on the other side of the ball, I think JPP and Shaq Barrett are going to be in Aaron Rodgers' dreams for the next couple nights, right? They were just all over him all game. Rodgers got beaten and battered all day. The Bucks are all over. I think they sacked him five times. And so uh, I thought pressure was huge, right? The Bucks getting pressure on Rodgers all day and Green Bay doing whatever they were doing on defense and just maybe sitting back too much and not getting pressure on Brady. And when you don't pressure Brady and he knows your defensive coordinator and your scheme, good luck. Good luck, and uh, I thought that was a key to the game. What would you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned the five sacks, and you mentioned JPP and Shaq. They all came from those two guys. I mean, <laughs> there it they, is. <laughs> they got all five. And, and again, 
we talked so much, you know, on our show and, and just the conversations that everybody was having about what the return of Vita Vea would mean for this rush defense. But go back and watch the film from this game and, and look at how much his impact as an interior pass rusher and pushing the, that, the front of that pocket right up into Aaron Rodgers' face with those two guys coming off the edge. There's just no way to go. Uh, there's nowhere to go. So, you know, those guys on the edge, they had a field day with it. Vita Vea had a huge impact. And I think also one thing I went, you know, when I noticed when I went back and watched some of the film is that, like you said, I, th- I think Green Bay was out coached. I think that, you know, when you, you know, go back to the first, I think it was the first third down of the game when Shaq Barrett got his first sack, which was really a, a great effort by him, but also great coverage and great execution by the Bucks on the back end. They played, you know, press man the whole way and had Mike Edwards at safety, like jumping uh, a quick route from Devontae Adams to take it away, which gave Shaq just that extra split second to be able to get to Rodgers and work his way back. He was getting held on the play, and he still made the play. But that, that was the first third down of the game. And when you sack the quarterback on the first third down of the game, it's just a, a statement that says this is how this day is going to go. But the coaching aspect of that is go help out your quarterback. <laughs> you're, you're playing, you know, you're playing without David Bakhtiari, who was one of the best at left tackles in the league. You've got a couple of guys playing tackle. I don't even think they full-time played tackle. I think Wagner's played guard. I think Billy Turner's played guard before. So help your guy out. You've got to chip him. You've got to have tight ends. You've got to have backs. You've got to have help. And in the amount of times that the, that the sacks happened on plays in which everybody but those front five guys were out in a pass pattern, it, it was really telling that they didn't seem to adjust on the fly to how much pressure those guys were creating with just those four rushers and leaving a back or chipping with a tight end and helping him out by giving him that extra second. Um, you know, the age-old chicken and egg question is always pass rusher coverage, right? And this was a, a perfect example of this game of how it, it really takes both and how they work together because if you're playing great coverage and not allowing separation and you're getting a consistent pass rush with just four guys, it's just a nightmare for a quarterback because there's nowhere to go and you don't have enough time. And if you don't make the coaching adjustments to, a, to, to account for that and give extra protection and try to, to change things up, what you, see, what you saw on Sunday is what you get. And Bruce will – He'll mess around. He'll say, "Oh, Tom Brady's the coach," you know, and he's, you know, he'll say some like outlandish things sometimes. You know, I mean, he's already saying it. Oh, we're gonna win the Super Bowl. Of course, I'm not gonna retire. I'm coming back. We're gonna win it again. You know, he's like, we want rings on our fingers. Like it's Bruce, right? He's gonna say all these things, and you almost feel like they're at a disadvantage in that in that department, like the coaching. But no way. I think Lafleur, he's got a great offensive scheme, but his special team sucks, and his defense is a liability as well. And I think we saw that at times in this game. And I think the sequence that really highlighted it the most was right at the end of the first half where the Bucks are getting ready to punt and Bruce calls the timeout and then sends Brady and the offense back on the field. And at first I was like, all right, what's the plan here? Right? Because they throw the six yard pass to Fournette, I think it was, pick up the first down. But you got six seconds left. You're out of timeouts and you're at the 39. You're still too far to kick the field goal. And you're still it's this is a tough little play, Luke, right? To try to pick up something short and kick the field goal and get out of bounds and that thing. That's a really hard play to execute. And I just I was wondering, I'm like, all right, the Bucks went for it on fourth down. Fine. They got it. But what are they really going to get out of this? And for the Packers to play man coverage with uh, King on the outside covering Scotty Miller. I think King was on the injury report with a back all week, right? So he's, yes, he's, he was. Even, he's even banged up. 
No help. He's one on one with the fastest, the best deep, the best deep threat the Bucks have in Scotty Miller. He's been doing it all year. It was uh, it and was Henry Ruggs against the Jets oh all over God. again. Oh my God! What was that? It was that? the same exact situation, but this time there's nothing to tank for. You're trying to go to a Super Bowl, so I'm not really sure what the mentality that was. That was unbelievable. What an unbelievable blunder, and what a job by the Bucks to take advantage of that. And I just think that's that speaks to Lafleur. He's got a, on the Green Bay side. He has a lot to learn. On, as far as managing the game. And I know Petten's getting a lot of heat and everyone's blaming the defensive coordinator. But if you're the head coach and see so you're in a man situation when you should be playing prevent, really, like you've got to like figure that thing out and change it. And he just let that happen. And then he kind of rips his defensive coordinator after the game and said, we shouldn't have been in that coverage. It's like, you're the head coach. So I, I just think, yes, the Packers were a little bit over their head in this game and got outcoached by Bruce and him just keeping his offense on the field as long as possible there. Oh, my gosh. What what an unbelievable swing there. And then the Aaron Jones fumble, of course, coming out of the, the halftime and the Bucks scoring again. They would go up 28 to 10. It's like, what is happening here? It's, it's so unbelievable. But I think the Packers never really recovered from that gut punch right before halftime. That was unbelievable. No, you're absolutely right. And I wrote about this at Bucks Wire. The juxtaposition between how Bruce Arians approached that that, that those last few moments of that first half and how it just matches up with the mantra that we've always talked about, right? No risk it, no biscuit. He risked it. He went and got his biscuit. It, it worked. But if you look at the other side of that coin, not only did he outcoach Matt LaFleur in that moment, what happened when Matt LaFleur had an opportunity to make a similar decision with the game on the line in the final minutes of the game to match that aggressive mentality and go get a biscuit of his own he took the ball away from Aaron Rodgers, kicked the field goal, and handed it back to Tom Brady. The Unbelievable! Best of all time and Go said, on. Hey, I want to hear what you yards. think about. Yeah, I want to hear what you think about that. Unbelievable! I'm still stunned, Luke, about this. I cannot believe it. Go on. What do you think about that? I mean, like I said, it, it just it shows. And and I wrote this in the article. I go back to we are we're always going to find a way to bring this back to the Tampa Bay Lightning somehow. But <laughs> right. when you go back to 2004, John Tortorella was the head coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and his <laughs> motto. His motto that year was safe is death for the Lightning. And they, they went on. They had multiple game, you know, seven-game series. They went seven games with the, with Philly in the Eastern Conference Finals. They went seven games with the Flames for the Stanley Cup. And that was the, the mantra, right, to just to be aggressive, to leave it all out there, to not play conservative. And, and, and that's what it takes to win championships. And so when you take those last few moments of the first half and the way Bruce Arians, again, he's always preached that, and that was just evidence of the fact that he obviously – believes in that to the point where in the NFC championship game, he's going to make crazy plays like that and go after it. And then Matt LaFleur, you have an opportunity. Listen, I, I completely understand the other side of why the decision makes sense in a vacuum to kick the field goal. I get it. I, I just don't care <laughs> because you have Aaron <laughs> exactly. Rodgers and the comparison I made. And I'm again, we're all over the place. This is, we didn't even plan this, but like, <laughs> of course, go we back <laughs> to go back to the world series when the Rays took Blake Snell out of the game in the, what was it, the fourth or fifth inning. Right. And all the people in the Dodgers dugout are like, thank God, this is the gift from from heaven. You've taken out this pitcher who's just owning us because the analytics say he's not going to get through the lineup a third time. Like, he's Blake freaking Snell. He's dealing. Put Keep him on the hill and let him ride. That's how this works. So, you know, I'm sure that there's a spreadsheet somewhere that told Matt LaFleur that he has a – a 6% more chance of winning if he kicks the field goal and gets a stop than if he goes for it and makes it or misses it. Like, who cares? <laughs> you have the MVP at quarterback. You have Devontae Adams. Figure it out. And this was the most telling thing to me. 
from Aaron Rodgers' press conference after the game is Aaron said he wasn't aware that the plan was to kick it going into that third down play because he said that he basically got to pick that third down play and said that he would have picked a different play and approached it differently on third down had he known that they weren't going to go for it on fourth. What what are you talking about? If that's true, you're talking about a head coach and his quarterback with the game on the line with a Super Bowl hanging in the balance that you guys aren't on the same page about this? Nope. You don't know that you're not going to go for it on fourth down? You don't know that it's going to be a field goal? Are you serious? Yeah, Rogers so, actually said on the on the Pat McAfee show, um, I think it was on Tuesday this week, he said that he thought it was four down territory. In his mind, he thought it was. Of course, Florida. he did yes. because everyone on the planet did, right. except for exactly. Matt Lafleur. So that's what. Again, you know, when considering all angles of this, considering the fact that let's let's play it this way: what's the best case scenario if you if you miss right or worst case? Let's go worst case scenario: if you go for it on fourth down, you're at the what eight or nine yard line, you miss. Which again, they had had three shots, they didn't get in. I get it, but. Then you've turned the ball over to the Bucks. They're on their own eight-yard line, eight, nine-yard line, and you still have to stop them. And if you do, you get the ball back, and you get a chance to score a touchdown on a two-point conversion to tie this game. If you kick the field goal, which they did, they kicked it off to Jaden Mickens, who you know went sliding into second base <laughs> yeah, for some reason. It was a horrible kickoff, too. It didn't match what their plan was, the by the way. the two-minute warning <laughs> right, somehow, right. which, again, not great. Not great but on the Bucks, side. I think, Yeah, the Bucks started that drive at the I think it was the 18 yard line, and you so so the, we have a difference of about 10 yards as opposed to if you go for it and miss right, and you still need a stop and a touchdown to change this game. So I don't I just don't understand taking the ball away from the MVP away from Aaron Rodgers, not giving him one more shot on fourth and goal for a difference of literally 10 yards. Because you still needed the same thing. Yes, obviously, if you get to stop now, if you score, you win. But I just, it's not, it's not enough. It's not enough for me. Again, I think I go back to a bunch of different, you know, moments in football and coaching when you see coaches make decisions that just make it look like they're trying to be the smartest guy in the room without just acknowledging what is obvious to anyone with a pair of eyes who understands football at all which is just, this is the obvious choice. Go do this because you have to be able to be in the game and feel it. You know, I go back to, what is it, Lane, Lane Kiffin, I think, in, in the first playoff uh, semifinal, the first year they had the playoff when it was Alabama, he was the OC at Alabama and they played Ohio State. You know, they got beat down by Ohio State because he decided, you know what, I've got Derrick Henry in the backfield. Maybe let's have Blake Sims throw the ball 40 times. <laughs> And it's like, like, dude, you do not have to show us how smart of a creative, of a play caller and play designer you are here and, and play gotcha by like, oh, you thought I was going to run at you, but no, I'm going to throw the ball 40 times. Like, no, nah, man, you've got a unicorn in the backfield. Hand him the ball 40 times and win the game. I think that was one of these moments, man, where, where you just – you've got to know in that moment that players over plays. I mean, it, you ask any coach, any player, for the most part, evidently, and they'll tell you that's what wins in 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 those critical moments. And I go back to what I said about you know the lightning and that motto: when you play to not lose, you lose. And again, it's one thing to play not to lose when you have the lead. The Packers never led in this game; they were never ahead for a single moment. So to play conservatively in the NFC title game with minutes left in a game you have not led yet, I don't understand. It just takes so much hubris to 
pretend that you are in a position to where you can afford to be conservative in a game that you have not had the lead in. And again, they played safe and then they died by that sword, man. The analytics might have said, hey, you got a 6% better chance. I don't think the analytics accounted for the impact of Tom Brady. And as as poorly as Brady played in the second half, Luke, and he was brilliant in that first half, and he was not good in the second half. Let's just be honest, right? He was terrible Ryan, in that you second willingly, half. <laughs> you willingly took the ball away from the MVP, it handed it to the GOAT, <laughs> and said, I like this. I think I'm, I, have, I, have, I think this is my, my best shot. Here. We can Are stop you him. kidding me? Yeah, yeah. Brady, who's now 10-4 and four in these situations, in these championship games, and a lot of them have been like really close down to the wire things. Like As poorly as Brady was playing in that second half, you know his eyes lit up. He's like, ooh, they're going to give us the ball back. Thank you. Brady's like, oh my gosh, all I have to do is get two first downs and I'll have as many NFC championship wins as Aaron Rodgers does. Oh my God. So like we all knew what was coming. I just, I did not think Aaron Rodgers would get the ball back and he didn't. And I don't feel bad for them about the uh, penalty flag that they are are freaking out about because first of all, you get what you deserve when you decide to play that weird strategy on kicking the field goal and then giving the ball to Brady. You play the risk of taking one of these ticky-tack kind of five-yard penalty. There's a lot of automatic first-down penalties in football, right, that are just maddening. And you are putting yourself in that situation. You cannot have a five-yard penalty. And me personally, Luke, I want to get your take on this. I freaking loved how this game was called. I know they let him play all day, and it was it was noticeable. And I said it multiple times. I'm like, have they even thrown a flag today? This is great. I, I love everything about this. I love it. Don't throw the flags. Let them play it out. That was great. But this... <laughs> The guy stretched the jersey like five yards. Like it was a clear hold. Like you got to call that. I'm sorry. Like that's, Ryan, a, that's Ryan, a freaking he swi- flag. He switched hands. <laughs> yes. He sw- He had it with one hand and couldn't hang on. And then he reached with the other hand to grab the shirt again and again. My, oh, my brother outrage. was talking to my brother about this today. And he was like, when you have a white shirt against the green grass <laughs> in the back, it. like it's just it's so <laughs> egregious. And one thing I mentioned to him when we were having this conversation today, I said, go back to – the progression in terms of the rules and the, and the way the games are officiated, go back to the saints Rams playoff game a few years ago, right? With the egregious, horrible pass interference call that they missed yeah. that led to, in my opinion, a, <laughs> a um, curiously uh, executed plan to allow people to review and challenge oh, pass interference. That the I, strangest season of my life, right? All, all it of was really <laughs> terrible. I, I think that if, if anyone came away from that season with the belief that the NFL like intentionally wanted their, their officiating to sandbag any opportunity to, to, to challenge that penalty on purpose so that they would never have to do this again and say, see, it didn't work. You would have a believer in me mm-hmm. probably. Yep. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm saying it's plausible. <laughs> of course. Yes. But, you know, go back to that when that, you know, they played that season. And then at the end of that season, obviously, the league is like, we're never doing this again. See, it didn't work. I bet part of that conversation behind the scenes was to their officiating that says, don't you dare ever put us in this position again. Don't you ever dare refuse to make such an obvious egregious call in the playoffs with a game on the line and a big moment. You have got to have the guts to make the right call in that moment because we cannot go into an entire offseason having all of this crap about, you know, having one call turn into, well, now we need to challenge pass interference and have these huge seismic changes on a big level just because you didn't have the guts in, in a moment to make the call that you needed to make. And again, I understand the gripe that they let them play all game long. 
and then with the game on the line, you make that play. But guess what? Nobody else at any point in the game, you can argue any pass interference. You know, there were multiple times on both teams where it probably could have been called. Nothing came close to being as bad as visually what we saw on that play. And just the, the visceral, like, I'm ripping your undershirt out from your jersey beneath, and it's literally, like, contrasting with the grass to the point where you can see. I mean, it was come very on. Obvious. And, yeah, and again, what happens if he doesn't do that? Tyler Johnson might score. I mean, he's there's no safety. I mean, the safety was on the kind of coming over from the backside of the field. Brady put a little bit of touch on that, so Johnson could have run right under that ball. And again, we saw earlier what happened to, to Kevin King when a receiver got behind him. I don't know if he's catching him, yeah. if he catches that ball in stride. And definitely the game's over at that point. So when you weigh all of that, obviously if I was a Packers fan and if I was on the other side of that, I'd be you know complaining about it because it just hurts to make that mistake in that moment. But if you don't want to get called for a penalty, keep your hands off the guy's jersey. Play defense and do your job and execute, and you don't have to be putting in that situation. And This goes for any team, anywhere. Anytime I've ever criticized the officials, you know, and as it relates to a Bucks game, I do my best to always include the caveat that if you play well enough, you don't put that on the refs. And if you didn't play well enough to where you needed the ref to make the right call, you know what? That's on you. And that's on, you know, you have to play to the point where you don't leave it up to someone else. Exactly. And I think that's what, you know, and that goes to the the whole Rodgers thing on right. fourth down. Yes. When you take the ball away from it, you had the control at that point. You had the ability to control the narrative and, and how that game goes. And when you take that away from your quarterback and you hand it to someone else and make it their responsibility, and obviously you have a defense, that's their job to stop them, but you got to know better than that. You got to, you got to read the room. You got to know that. So, Again, just so many mistakes in so many ways, so many ways you could dice up this game as to why the Bucks won. How do you go to Lambeau, lose the turnover battle, and still happen to win? And I tell you what, that's done with defense. You, you had two takeaways, you scored two touchdowns, you had three interceptions in the second half alone, and the Packers only scored three points or six points off of those total. The Bucks forced three and outs on two of those interceptions. And I mean, that's just that was the the story of the game. The Bucks made some critical mistakes on offense late in that game, and their defense made them meaningless. My favorite part was the broadcast caught after the first Brady pick and the Packers score. They're back in the game, and I think Rogers said, "You got to stop him. You got to stop him." He was saying that to his defense. And his defense goes out, gets him two interceptions in a row, and he couldn't do anything with it. And I thought that was that was telling right there. there you know, Rodgers kind of challenged his defense. He said, you got to get me the ball. Well, the Packers' defense did get the ball. Brady did not play well in that second half. He made some mistakes. He, he's lucky that those mistakes came, I think, deep in – you know, on the right side of the field, I guess. Yeah, right? you know, Ryan, and I've heard, I've heard that that has been the criticism when I've talked about this on social media or whatever about, oh, well, we were just, they were just punts, they yeah. were long punts. Yeah, but you know what they happens when that punts. happens <laughs> is you just that means that the team was that much closer to scoring, right, Ryan? Exactly. So they were trying to put the game know, away. They couldn't get there. You can't, you can't have it both ways. We can't talk about how important it is for defenses to get red zone takeaways, right, to keep points off the board by intercepting the ball or creating turnovers in inside that 20 yard box and talk about how important it is. If we're going to turn around and say, well, the, the, the fact that they intercepted it, right. You know, to keep the team from scoring, you know, that makes it less impactful. Are you kidding me? Come on, man. Stop making excuses for the fact that they, you just got handed two gifts by the greatest quarterback of all time in the NFC title game. And you did Jack squat 
with two of those three and couldn't even get a first down, let alone a touchdown. That's huge. Those are huge, huge responses by the Bucks defense. They've been they've been great ever since Heineke, the future Hall of Famer, lit them up. They've been freaking awesome, Luke. The Bucks defense, right? So they've been they've been the story. Ah, oh, it's so good. It's it's been such a great run. And uh, yeah, so I, I think the defense deserves all the credit in the world and. And the Bucks survive. I mean, Brady, he was, like I said, he was shaky in that second half. The defense steps up. And now we're, we're taking this thing to the Super Bowl. We're going the distance. How about that? We're going the distance, Luke. What's your, what's your preliminary thoughts on Bucks Chiefs? We'll really get into this game next week. But for now, I mean, Bucks three-and-a-half-point underdog at the moment. On one prominent sports betting app, I should say. They're three-and-a-half-point dogs. The total is set at 56-and-a-half. And, you know, I know that Arians isn't going to make the same mistake that Sean McDermott and the Bills made kicking field goals, kicking, you know, if there's a two in front of the, the, the distance of the field goal, Luke, if it's a 26-yarder, 25-yarder, just go for the touchdown against Patrick Mahomes. Please don't kick 20-yard field goals. You know, I think the Bills learned that the hard, the hard way. You've you got to score with this guy. So the total at 56 and a half, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that thing climbs because these Super Bowls with Mahomes tend to be high scoring. Uh, so what do you think? You got the goat and the baby goat, right? And I, God, I'm desperately rooting for the Bucks and Brady. Come on, we don't want the Chiefs. <laughs> I don't want the Chiefs starting their own dynasty now. Bucks got to beat them. What do you think, Luke? You know, the most encouraging thing for me, like if I if I'm speaking as a Bucks fan, what I like about our about the Bucks' chances in this game is what the Bucks proved they could do in these last two playoff games. Okay. Mm-hmm. So go and look at, you know, we talked about it ad nauseum going into that Saints game, right, about what the Bucks did in those first two games and how they were able to flip it on its head. They went to New Orleans, they won by 10, and, and just played a completely different brand of football in, in that game. Go and look at what they did to the Packers. The Packers had gotten blown out by the Bucks in week six, so you kind of go into it with the opposite mentality now, right? You're like, obviously we can't expect that to happen. The Packers are, you know, one of the best teams in the league. You got Aaron Rodgers. They're going to have something – based on how we beat them the first time, right? They're going to have a way to kind of avoid what we did to them last time. And the Bucks beat them differently. Mm-hmm. If you go back and watch that week six film, they beat Aaron Rodgers and frustrated him and, and confused him in a completely different style with a lot of zone pressures, a lot of showing you one look and then dropping guys into coverage and bringing guys from the opposite direction, a lot of different stuff. This game was much more like it was against the Saints where they played a lot of press man coverage, a lot of two man with the safeties over the top and just letting their front four get home because it was working. You know, the way that they were able in those two games in particular, obviously they had some struggles against Washington, but when you go into New Orleans and you basically end Drew Brees' career, when you go into Green Bay and beat Aaron Rodgers to the point where people wonder if he's going to be back there next year, and you do it in two very different ways by proving that you can adjust not just from getting beat by the Saints twice and find a way to win convincingly, not just doing it in a way that, hey, this is how we beat this team last year, so let's adjust on, on uh, in advance of what we think they're going to do to combat that and beat them in a completely different way and beat them again. Go into the Chiefs game. The Bucks haven't lost this season since they lost to the Chiefs. Week 12 was the last time the Bucks lost a game. They're on right. a franchise record seven-game winning streak right now. And go back to, to how that game played out. The first quarter looked like the Saints game from <laughs> earlier yes. in the season in week nine. It was, right. I think it was it 17 was to nothing early. or, Very or 20 to one to nothing. I can't remember which one, but Tyreek Hill had 200 yards and two touchdowns in the first quarter. So it was either 17 or 21 to nothing. They're down three scores at the end of the first quarter. The Bucks lost that game 27 to 24. 
Okay. Shaq Barrett had the, the biggest play of that game, in my opinion, when he had a strip sack on, on Mahomes in the red zone. Remember those turnovers that don't count in the red zone? Yep. yep um, exactly. Yeah. They're a punt. That was that a punt by Mahomes. That completely changed that game. And the Bucks, uh, the Ronald Jones touchdown that happened after that, the Bucks had a fourth down and three, I think, where they went for it and chucked a deep ball to Mike Evans for a touchdown. Again, talking about the scenarios that you mentioned a minute ago. Yep. So go back and look at the last three quarters, and they actually mirror very much the last three quarters that the Bucks played against the Green Bay back in, in week six. It was 10 nothing Green Bay at the end of the first quarter. Bucks had punted twice. You know, uh, Aaron Rodgers had scored on, on consecutive possessions. And the Bucks beat them 38-10. to 10. They shut them out the rest of the way. If you go back and look at that Chiefs game, they were down 17-0, 21-0 in the first quarter. And they lost by three, 27-24, because they adjusted on the fly. They literally just said, we're going to double Kelsey. We're going to double Tyreek. Everybody else is going to have to figure it out. And it worked because those two guys were a lot less open, which meant the pressure was getting home a lot more often. And it was a lot harder. I think if the Bucks get one more possession, if they get a stop, I think at the end of that game on, on third down and get that ball back, who knows, right? You give the ball back to Brady with a chance to win the game. We all know how that works a lot of the time. So I think they were they were one possession away from, from maybe winning that game. So if you take the way they finished that game, take the way they adjusted against the Saints and won, take the way they adjusted against the Packers to beat them in a different way than they did the first time, that's what would encourage me as a Bucks fan to say, I trust this coaching staff, I trust these players and the way they respond to the the game plan and to to the opponent that they're that they know they're facing, I think they've got a really good shot. Now you've got to play a perfect game to beat the Kansas City Chiefs right now. They are so good, they are so explosive, especially on offense. They've got so many playmakers. They can score so quickly. Go back to their playoff run last year. I think they were losing by yeah. two or three scores in each of those two games preceding the Super Bowl. You know, to go into that game, they can just come back at a moment's notice. So you have got to play perfect football. You can't turn the ball over like they did in the second half against Green Bay. You can't have penalties. You can't have missed opportunities. I point to uh, there was a third and long early in the first half where Rodgers was scrambling to the right and Sean Murphy Bunting just kind of like got lost and gave up on, I think, Tunyon it was that made a catch on the sideline. That should have been another punt. should have been a sack. Like you can't have those mental lapses against the Chiefs. They're just too good. And they could score too quickly. So the Bucks are talented enough. They're capable enough. The coaching staff has been great. I feel like they have a really good shot to do this because they've proven that they can in different ways over these last two weeks. But, man, it's going to take a flawless game to beat this team. Luke, in a week's time, we'll be talking about the Bucks and the Chiefs in Super Bowl 55. We'll break that thing down. How's that sound? This is freaking sweet. Hey, music to my ears, baby. Let's go. Oh, it's so good. So join us next week. We'll be back for a Super Bowl edition of the Bucks Wire podcast. We'll talk to you then. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. 
Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.